Thanks for tuning in to a sermon from Redemption Hill Church. If you're in D.C., we'd love for you to come and join us and become a part of the church family. If you're outside of D.C., we would love for you to find a church family to get plugged into and invest your life in where you can be held accountable and they can care for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of Redemption Hill Church, you can give online at redemptionhilldc.org. Well, let's go ahead and uh, take our seats. Make sure you pick up on that conversation at the end of the service. <clears throat> thank you for thank you for being with us tonight. And um, as I said before, my name is Chuy Rodriguez. I'm the pastor, associate pastor here, and I have the privilege of sharing the word with you tonight. And um, before I do that, I just uh, want to go ahead and pray. If, Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to be here as one body. Thank you for your church. And um, thank you for this group of people that you've allowed us to meet. Because through them, we can get to know you better, and that's how you intended it. And through them, we can also be encouraged and sanctified. And um, God, I also thank you for your word that you've given to us as a church. Thank you because we can learn from it and, and go to it and be encouraged and challenged. And Lord, I pray that today your spirit will speak to our hearts through it. I pray that your spirit will <clears throat> move us closer and closer to you every day. And Lord, I pray that whatever we, we do, think, or say today will be to glorify you. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. <clears throat> so we usually start off by reading a passage, and, and we actually anchor ourselves in the passage, and then uh, we start the sermon, but I'm going to do things a little different. Bill is not here, so we're going to be a little heretic today. <clears throat> so um, I'm going to start with, by telling you a story, and so about 10 years ago, I met uh, a Salvadorian man who was probably in his mid-40s. And he came illegally to the U.S. And on this trip to the U.S., he knew he had to come to Maryland. He had a family member that lived in Maryland. And, and once he was in Maryland, he, he was to, to call this person uh, so they can meet. This family member uh, told him that he was going to give him a place to stay just to start off as, uh, while he was getting acquainted with the city and finding jobs and, and or a job. <clears throat> so this person wrote in a little paper uh, an address and a phone number of this family member. And during this trip that took about a month, um, he lost the paper. And he came to Maryland because that's where he was um, heading and, and he knew he needed to come to Maryland. So he came and he arrived during the winter completely underdressed without the papers. So he was dropped off somewhere in Maryland and he had nowhere to go. So he was worried and he remembered that uh, his family member told him if something like this happens or if you get lost or, or I don't know, they drop you off in the wrong place, uh, one way to get out of this situation or find shelter is you could probably head to a 7-Eleven and, uh, you know, usually uh, people will come and, and 
give you work, or people will come and say, I need, I need workers, and, uh, and jump in, do the work, and then they'll pay you for the day, and that way you can eat or find shelter. So he remembered this, and he headed to a um, 7-Eleven. Thankfully, there was other Hispanics in this 7-Eleven as well, waiting for work. So he, he told us, he, he did as he was told, and surely a van showed up a few hours later, and he said, I need five workers. And he didn't know what they were asking of them. He didn't even know if he knew how to do the work. He didn't understand anything. He just saw that all the other guys jumped into the van, and he jumped in with them. And uh, so he's in the van. Uh, he made it to the top five. And um, he was in the van, and he realized by talking to the other uh, uh, um, Hispanics that they were going to go shovel snow. And, and he's, he, this is probably the first time this, this person actually saw snow. So um, he, he was given a shovel, and they were taken to this large property, and, and, and he was told, you, need to, we need to, or you guys need to clean this up. So he just started shoveling snow. And after a few hours of being cold, uh, he just started noticing that his feet started to, to hurt. And, but he's like, I can't stop. This is basically my only chance. I have no money, nowhere to stay. With this money, I can probably get something to eat. So he just pushed through. And, and the pain, of course, got worse. And he just continued to work. And at, at one point, after a few hours, his feet just went numb. The pain went away. And he continued to work. And about after eight or nine hours, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how long, um, the guy from the van came back, paid everybody in cash, and took the shovels and left. So he's there by himself, and uh, he's heading to get something to eat, but he realizes that there's something wrong with his feet. And making a long story short, and I don't know how, but he ended up in the hospital. When he was in the hospital, he noticed that they couldn't get his shoes off, so they had to cut him up. And as you probably imagine already, when he saw his feet, they were black. And the story ends where you think it ends. He had half of his feet amputated. He also lost a couple of fingers. And, and I met this guy on a basement on a neighbor's house, and it broke my heart. It was horrible to see. But what's, what, what's really shocking is that this man bought into an idea that tells you and him that more is better. And we live in a society that continues to tell us that we need to improve our lives constantly. And I know we can argue against this story, and it's not a perfect story. I'm not, I'm not arguing for or against an immigration policy here. What I'm doing is I'm arguing against an idea that it's rampant in our society, not only in America, but in, in the whole world, that more is better, that, than acquiring position, uh, or possessions is, is what makes you happy, is having access to certain things will improve your life, give you what you're looking for, will actually satisfy you and give you peace. And this mentality who got this guy in that situation is 
is, is the mentality of our pursuit of happiness. It's the idea that we can be happy by accomplishing or acquiring. And, and, and I've seen this happen in, in maybe less uh, crazy ways in, in, in other places. I've seen people destroy not only their lives, but their relationships, their families, in the pursuit of this happiness, safety, or peace. And our ambition has caused us and many others pain. And please don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not saying that working hard or, or, or having dreams or goals in life is wrong. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But what I've realized in my own life and in, 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 the, in the people around me, and not only in America but in Mexico as well, is that we tend to focus a lot in accomplishing and working and going and getting to a place. But we don't really focus too much on enjoying today what we already have. We usually don't sit back and appreciate the blessings that we currently have. In fact, my life, and I would assume the life of many here, is one that's constantly worried about what's going to happen, how am I going to make it, what's next for me, for my family. And what I'm saying is that in the midst of this race, in the midst of this pursuit, we have lost a concept that the Bible tells us to do and is rest. We don't know how to rest. It's, it's, a, it, it's a concept that it's foreign to us. And the title of my sermon today is A Theology of Rest. And, and I believe this is something that we all need to hear and something that we need to emphasize in our, in our culture today because we're so focused on just getting, we're constantly asking what's next. Some of us have actually accomplished things that we thought were going to give us something. And when we accomplish, we, realize, we quickly realize, this is not giving me what I expected, so what's next? Remember when you were in high school and you wanted to graduate from and get a bachelor's degree? Remember that? And then you graduated and then you went for a master's. And then you got your first job, and then the second, and now you're looking to get a PhD. And remember your first car, and then your second, and maybe the, the, it's never ending. We, 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 we never get there. And this is a sermon for myself. This is, this is something I need to hear every day, and I'm sure we all need to hear it. But I don't want to talk about my culture. I don't want to talk about this culture. I don't want to talk about my opinion or your opinion or anybody's opinion. What I want to do today is I want to talk about what God says. So let's go ahead and read our text. It's Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. And this is a piece of the, of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11 says, Remember the Sabbath day. To keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. 
For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. So the first thing that I want to notice, uh, or I want you to note about this, the, uh, this passage, is that we are commanded to rest. Rest is a command. And, and, and this is important because it, we need to realize that this is not a suggestion. This is not something that God is suggesting for us to do. We need to realize that keeping one day to rest is a part of the top ten commandments that God gave Israel. On the same level with not killing and not lying and not cheating is resting. And as I say this, it sounds crazy that, that it's at the same level. Because this is a concept so foreign to us that we actually think it's Optional. The Bible is commanding us to separate a day to rest and dedicate to God. And if you're very theological and you're already asking, well, how much of the, of, of the Ten Commandments really apply for us now that we're under the grace? I think you're actually having the wrong discussion. Because the Ten Commandments apply to us today, maybe not in a salvific way, but I have never met a Christian who actually says it's okay to kill just because you're now under the grace of God. So this is the same list. And God commands us to separate, which that, this is the word that, that means holy, to separate, to make it holy, to, to separate a day to rest and dedicate it to him. So I want to repeat this. God gave over 600 commandments to Israel, and resting made it to the top 10 commandments. But we usually dismiss or ignore this commandment as if it doesn't really matter or if it's optional. In fact, in this society, we boast our calendars when they're full. We actually feel pride when we see our calendar and it's full with colors and it goes from before we wake up to after we go to bed and it's just like, oh, look at all this stuff. And we actually talk to others in, in a prideful way, jokingly saying, man, I'm, I'm just like, I can't stop. And, and if it feels good to say that because it gives you a sense of accomplishment. But you know what? That's not how it's supposed to be. We've actually broken one of the Ten Commandments, and we're laughing about it sometimes. We even admire people who do this all the time. And we even ask how they do it, and we, and we want to be like them. So the first thing I want to tell you, this is, this is a commandment. And we need to start seeing this as something that is wrong. Not resting, not taking a day off is wrong. Why? Because the Bible says so. Because Jesus said it. Because it is in the Ten Commandments. Notice that this commandment is the longest of all the Ten Commandments. It takes four verses for God to tell us, rest. Four. 
It's like God was writing this and he was making sure that we noticed this. This is the way God highlighted this commandment for us. If you read the other ones, they're, they're not even like a verse. Thou shall not murder. Thou shall not commit adultery. When it comes to resting, four verses to say that. This is also the only commandment that references something that God did and tell us to imitate it. This commandment actually tells us that the reason why we're supposed to rest is because God did it. And it references creation. And, 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 the, and the text that this is referencing is Genesis 2, verses 1 and 3, and I want to read it to you. It says, Thus the heaven and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Verse 3, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So notice that the, the Genesis account doesn't even call it a Sabbath. It calls it rest. And the principle that we can withdraw from this is the principle of rest. This is not about you counting the days or whether or not we should meet on Saturday or Sunday or if you should count your steps. This is not about that. This is the concept of resting. Taking a day, separating a day to dedicate it to God and rest. And we're supposed to imitate God. And believe me, God did not rest because he was tired. Or because he was fed up with creating creation. <laughs> no, he rested because he wanted to model this for us. He made a day holy. He separated a day for us to model. And this is a beautiful gift from God to us. This is something that God is doing as a father for his children to ensure that we are okay. God is caring for us, for you, through this commandment. Which leads me to my second point. Rest is not only a command, but it's also stewardship. We need to note that God, through this commandment, is telling us, I need you to stop. I assume not many of you have children because it's a 5 p.m. service. But I have to do this with my kids all the time. They go on all day, and they will not stop. And I have to force them to go to bed. Sometimes I have, I have four children, so I actually have to resource to a few things that probably parents with two or one kids don't, don't have to deal with. But I actually have locked my kids into their, into their bedrooms. <laughs> and I'm like, go to bed. Because they just can't stop. They have no concept of stopping. And if you let them, you'll find them in the most random place just sleeping. And you know what? That is exactly what we do. We are like little kids and we go at it like if we can actually take it on. And, and sometimes our body just shuts down. And people end up in the hospital. And this is, this is God saying, stop. You need a rest. 
Another important thing about this command is that it's framed in the positive. Most of the other commandments are, are, are framed in negative, but this is framed on the positive. This is a positive thing. This is something that God is, is actually showing care for and in all the commandments, but especially in this one. Through this command, God is showing us that we need to care for ourselves. But not only for ourselves, also for others. Did you notice what verse 9 and 10 said? Verse 9 actually said in Exodus 20, Six days you shall labor and do all your work. So God is not against work. He's for work. In fact, the first thing that God did with Adam and Eve when he created them was giving them work. But then he says, but do it on, on six days. You have six days to do it, and then you take one day off. And verse 10 says, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And it specifies you or your son or your daughter or the people you're responsible for. So this is a command not only to steward our own body, but also to steward and care for others as well. It commands us to steward our family, our employees, or people who are, we, we are responsible for. So this command is not something to prevent you from things. It's, it's, it's something that will actually enable you to live longer and enjoy your life. This command is God protecting us, caring for us, and is stewardship. And sometimes we believe that we can do whatever we want with our lives. Isn't that a saying? It's my life. I can do whatever I want with it. But the reality is that if you call yourself a Christian, that does not apply at all. In, fa in fact, uh, the Apostle Paul says it clearly in, in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20. He actually says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And this is something we fail to do. So we, we, we need to see this command of resting as, as a gift from God. Something that we need to embrace rather to fight off. This is a father caring for his children. Another point I want to highlight is that rest is trust in God. In order for us to rest, there needs to be an element of trust. Abstaining from work means that we need to stop. And resting implies a release of control by ceasing to work. Setting one day apart to rest and having a good work and rest rhythms requires some level of surrendering. It requires us to be satisfied in what we already have. In fact, this is at the very core of the concept of Sabbath rest. When we rest, we're trusting our Father to give us what we need. And it's, it's sort of an act of worship because we let go and we trust Jesus. And we actually see this better explained the first time this concept was introduced. And if you think the Sabbath was introduced for the first time on the, 20, on the Ten Commandments, it's not that, that, that's not the case. This commandment it's pre, uh, predates the Ten Commandments. 
the first time this, this commandment was uh, introduced was in Exodus 16. So I, uh, if you don't mind turning there with me, I want to read a portion of when this was introduced. And I just want to give you a little bit of context. Remember Israel? They were wandering in the desert and they started complaining. They complained about a lot of things. Uh, but this time they were complaining about food. So he, they complained to Moses and God said, okay, you want food? I'm going to make bread rain on you. And he did. He gave him something called manna. So God provided that. But there were some regulations about this. So you would get up in the morning. And there was this, I don't know, flour or flakes-like thing just all over the place. And you, were, you, were, you would gather it. And you would prepare it and make bread with it. But you couldn't store more than just that day's portion. If you, were, if you were to store more, it would rot and, and smell and produce maggots. So they, couldn't, they, they, they were not allowed to uh, store it. So they would do this every day for five days. And on the sixth day, they were allowed to actually take a double portion that will cover the seventh day. So this is what we read right now in, in, in Exodus 16, verses 22 and on. <clears throat> It says, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest. This is the first time this is introduced. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you boil. And all that is left over lay aside and, 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 and to be kept till the morning. So they laid it, laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink. And there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today will, you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it. But on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has, has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So the people had a trust day on their daily portion. They couldn't store more than the daily portion. And this took some trust. So the Israelites and us had to trust God with what he already gave them. They had to be satisfied with their previous portion. And there had to be an element of content with what they gathered on the sixth day. And when we rest, we do exactly that. We trust our Father. We worship Him by surrendering our control and trusting in Him. But let's be honest. Let me ask you a question. Who, who's like those people who went out on, on the seventh day to find more? That's me. I'm like that. I kind of want more all the time. And I, I realized this when I moved to America. Because this is the land of more, right? That's the American dream. I'm from Mexico, if you don't know this. 
And um, before I moved to America, I've only had one car my whole life, in my whole life. And it was an old Volkswagen uh, buggy. You probably don't even know what I'm talking about. It's not a Beetle. It's not one of those nice-looking ones. It's like an old, old one that was, actually looked like a Beetle. And, and so there was nothing fancy about this car. It, it, was, it, was, it was not automatic, stick shift. It, it, it didn't have a passenger seat, and it had holes um, on the floor of the car. And, and if it rained or I passed through a puddle, the water would come in. That was my car, really. And, and uh, so you actually had to roll down the windows, and those things actually like broke down. And sometimes you would carry a, a screwdriver to actually you know, roll down the window with a screwdriver. Crazy thing, and I asked this to the morning service, and nobody said, maybe you guys have done this before, but I used to keep a rag in the, in the glove compartment because when it rained and people were inside, the, the windshield got all foggy. So I had, like, like manually cleaned the thing as I'm driving constantly. So that was my first car. And this, this, I, I had this car when I was in high school, and I was totally fine. You know, as a good Mexican, all my friends would jump in, and we would all somehow fit. You can laugh. It's, it's okay. Um, so it was, it was, this was, this was my car and I, I hadn't, I wasn't mad at it or it was just my car. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but, um, have you ever turned on a stick shift card on second gear when you push them? Have you guys ever done that? Most of the guys know what I'm talking about. Well, I learned how to do this by myself on this car because it was, it was such an old car and, um, Anyway, but so th this was a car that I had that even when I think back, I had really good moments with this car. And I moved to America, and, and ever since I moved, I've had four cars. And I just became so picky. We just, uh, as some of you know, we just moved with my family six months ago, and, and we had to buy a, a, a family car, so we wanted, I mean... My wife was totally against this, but we had to get a minivan. I have four kids, so yeah, I'm a minivan guy. Um, don't, don't worry, you'll get there. And we started looking at, at minivans, and you know, I was like, I want the one with the power doors, the one that slide, and you know, the back door, I wanted to just, I wanted everything powered. And we got one, and it even has a TV in the back for the kids, and, and it has heated seats, and it's just, it's, I'm so spoiled. But it's funny, because I went from that car to this car, and now this is kind of like my standard. And I, what, what do you do after you have a car like this? Yeah, I mean, the next thing is a car that flies or something, I don't know what, but there's no going back, because the human heart just keeps going. You just want more and more. And what used to satisfy you, it no longer satisfies you because you want more. And once you get to that place, then you, you need to go to the next place so you can find more. And I was one of these people that I was, I was seeing bread falling off the sky to feed me. And I could still not obey God. And I went out on the seventh day to find more find more. And we, we, this is what we see in Israel thousands of years ago, and this is something we still see today. But the crazy thing is that God's reaction to this is not like, ha, ha look at how funny, look, look, they're cute. No. 
God actually says to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Apparently, God doesn't find anything funny with this because this is a matter of trust. We start trusting things. We start trusting people more than we trust God himself. It is a matter of trust. It is a matter of obedience based on trust. And the reality is that it is hard for, for us to trust God. And that we can't truly trust God. Because if you actually think about it, we mostly trust ourselves. We truly believe that we can make it on our own. What is it that brings mostly anxiety to your life? What are you mostly worried about? Things that you can not do. And the reason why we're frustrated is because we can't do them. What brings anxiety to my life is when things get out of control because I think practically daily that I have the control of my life. And this is why it's so hard to trust God and rest. Because we think that we can do it on our own. Because we are ambitious. And if history shows us something is, like I said before, ambition has brought us and others pain. Are you, have you ever heard the, the term practical atheism? Practical atheism is basically what we do every day. We claim that we know God. We say that we believe and follow a sovereign God who is in control of our lives. But we actually live like he doesn't exist. We think like he's not in control. We plan as if we can actually make it happen on our own. That is practical atheism. And I am probably the greatest practical atheist in the world. We have rejected and we have refused God's way. And we have taken our way. We have taken control of our lives and we do things our way. And we are on a mission to be happy and succeed in life. And that is the essence of sin. Sin is a rejection of God a rejection of what God can do for us, a rejection of acknowledging that he is the source of all things to us and actually us taking the lead and the control of our lives and ignoring him. And we do this every day. We basically live on a what's best for us basis. We have turned our backs to our creator and we have chosen to go our way. And unfortunately, our way only leads to, to eternal separation from God. The Bible says that we're sinners, that we are therefore separated from God because our sin has fooled us. And we can truly believe that we can actually obtain true satisfaction, rest, security, and peace in things or people, but not in God. And we don't realize that we can't find it. We can find what we're actually looking for in this life or in this, or, or in people or in things other than in God. We're actually chasing something that we can't catch. And this is not new. This is something that others have actually said. There's a sociologist, a, a French sociologist named Alexis, Alexis de Tocqueville, and he actually wrote a book about um, 
America. It's, it's called Democracy in America. And, and he actually critiques the American dream and, and, and says that Americans believe that things could bring them happiness. And, and he talks about this ideal that people have about the right conditions for their life. And this is what he says about that, about us Americans pursuing this. He says this, it perpetually retires from before them, yet without hiding itself from their sight, and in retiring draws them on. At every moment, they think they are about to grasp it. It escapes at every moment from their hold. They are near enough to see it to see its charms, but too far off to enjoy them. And before they have fully tasted its delights, they die. He later on says, There is a strange melancholy often haunting inhabitants of democracies, democracies in the midst of abundance. And this is true. Because there's nothing in this life that will satisfy us. And if we believe that things will give us rest, if we believe that accomplishing will give us rest, we are living a lie. And this is the very lie that messed this man's life, the one I told you about in the beginning. He took a shot. And he probably took all his savings to come to America because somebody told him that he was, he was going to find true life here. But let me tell you, and this is something I have to constantly tell my own people, there is no country in the world that will give you what you're looking for. There is nothing that will give you what you're looking for. Not even a person, nor a family, not, not your title, not the best job ever, Nothing. Only God, through Jesus, can give you true rest and satisfaction. And this race of trying to get this leaves us empty, frustrated, discontent, tired, because it doesn't allow us to rest. And there's no rest to our pursuit, because we don't want to give control, give up control. But there's hope. There's huge hope for all of us. There is hope in Jesus. This is the amazing thing about the gospel. Is that regardless of how our life is and our sinfulness, Jesus gives us hope and true rest. The good news that Jesus has for us is that he actually came and did what we were supposed to do. That is the message that we preach here every Sunday. That we cannot obtain what we're looking for, but Jesus came and did it for us. And he now freely gives it to us. Jesus is our substitute in life and death. Jesus actually trusted his father perfectly because he knew we were not going to be able to and that we couldn't trust the father so he came and he actually did it for us jesus went on the went on the cross or to the cross in obedience to his father because we were not able and we couldn't obey his commandments perfectly but he did and after jesus did everything we were supposed to do he now 
offers us rest for free without works. He does not need your merits or your works. He gives it to you freely, regardless of who you are, regardless of how good or bad you've done in life, regardless of all the uh, uh, academic achievements you have, regardless of anything. He comes and he offers peace and rest and satisfaction to you for free through his grace. Jesus died for you. He carried the cross for you. He defeated sin and death for you so that you can find eternal rest and life in him. And that is available for you today, right now. And this is really good news. Jesus is our peace. Ephesians 2, verses 13 and 14 actually says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace. Are you looking for peace? It's in Jesus. And he brings us rest. And and the, the good news about this is that the gospel actually tells us, and if you are a Christian and you hold to the belief that there is a good God who is in control of your life, this is good news because this means that your life, your future is not in your hands. This belief, this actually means that you, your life is actually not in weak hands. Your life is not in the hands of someone who's emotional. Your hands are not in the life of someone who's foolish. Your life is, they're, they're, not, they're not in your hands. They're in good hands. They're in God's hands. And his hands are powerful. His hands are wise. His hands are merciful. And your life is in his hands. And this frees us. This gives us true rest. Because we don't have to prove anything to anybody. Because Jesus is sufficient for us. This is what the Apostle Paul says in one of my favorite passages. 2 Corinthians 3 verses 4 and 5 actually says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward, toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God. Our sufficiency is from God. Some of us need to take this and apply it in very practical ways. Like eliminating things from our calendars. Just getting rid of some commitments and actually taking a day of rest. Some of us need to trust God by maybe not relying in our, in our jobs so much and, and, and working overtime so much. Some of us need to probably take it easier in school and, and realize that school will not satisfy or give us the security we're looking for and actually chilling a little bit. Maybe for some of you, it's just a matter of understanding that your life is in, in God's hands. And if that is your situation, if, you're, if you are not finding rest in general, if you're battling anxiety, or if you're in the middle of a situation and you can't seem to find answers, 
I want to tell you, Jesus gives you true rest because your life is not in your hands. And this is for Christians and also non-Christians. And if you're not a Christian tonight, I want to, I want to invite you to, to share on this, of this. This is available for you too. And you don't have to get your act together before you actually enjoy this. This is free. It's called grace. It's called grace because it does not require works. And the more messed up you are, the more amazing it feels. Because you cannot believe that such a good God can love such a bad person. And that is who I am. So if you're struggling to find peace, if you're struggling to find rest, I just want to tell you this. Jesus is all-powerful. We are not. Jesus is wise. He knows it all. We don't. We don't. Jesus is good, and Jesus never changes. We are not good, and we change all the time. Jesus accepts you, regardless of your successful successes, regardless of your failures. Those things that you have done that you're ashamed of, it does not matter for him. He loves you the same. Jesus calls you his daughter and his son, and he is not ashamed of that. And you can now find rest in him. Nothing or no one can give you the real rest and peace. It's only found in our creator. And I want to finish by telling you the very words of Christ to weary people who struggle to rest. The words of a father talking to his children who are weary, who are tired. This is what Jesus told, uh, tells us. Matthew 11, 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. Lord Jesus, thank you because you have given us salvation and peace without works. This is the one thing we don't have to work hard to earn. And it's the most important one. Thank you because you embrace us, you accept us, you, you, you love us. Even if we are bad, thank you. Lord, I pray that you will help us find rest in you. Lord, I pray that we will be able to surrender the control of our lives and actually trust you. Lord, I pray that we will be able to fully understand that we are commanded to rest. And I pray that through this, you will care for us even more. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.